Let's open in prayer. Father, we uh, come before you this morning. I thank you for the time of worship, Lord, the time of lifting up our voices, and Lord, more importantly, that we would lift up our hearts before you, Lord, that you would be glorified in our worship, that you would be glorified with our hearts, Lord, that you would do a work, Lord, in your people, that you would continue that good work, Lord, that you started, Lord, and that we would yield, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit, to even the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak, Lord, into our hearts this morning. And Lord, that we wouldn't resist what you want to do in us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, start out this morning uh, giving us some reminders. This is actually our fourth study in the second chapter here in 2 Timothy. And our first study, I titled it The Soldier, the Athlete, and the Farmer. And it started out this chapter by Paul telling Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And oh, how we need to understand and grab hold of that verse, that we would be strong in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. He also went on to tell Timothy, he said, and the things that you have heard from me, Timothy, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the key to that is faithful men, faithful women, people that are faithful, uh, to God's Word, faithful to the Gospel, faithful to the things of God. He says in verse 3, he says, Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said in verse 5, he says, if anyone competes, you need to compete like an athlete. He's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. God has a plan and God has rules for His kingdom and for the furtherance of the kingdom. And we need to do these things according to God's rule. He said in verse 6, he said the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. And then he says in verse 7, after all of that, he says, consider what I say. Timothy, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. We need to grab hold. Sometimes these things, we've got to sit and digest them and let them kind of work into our heart and say, God, would you work these in me? But we also, the following week, we covered verses 8 to 13, holding fast the truth. And Paul, or Paul said to Timothy in verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, Paul calls it, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the Word of God is not chained. I love that verse. Nothing is going to hold back what God intends uh, to do through the church. That no matter if we are put into chains, no matter if somebody is killed, you know what? God's going to raise up other people and the gospel's going to continue to go forward. He tells Timothy to, to stay focused on this gospel message. Stay focused on the reason we're all called. We're called to go make disciples. We're called to, to take the gospel message out to this world. Last week, in verses 14 to 19, I titled it Approved and Disapproved Workers. He says in verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Mark that verse for this morning even. He says in verse 15, and I believe this is an important verse to this chapter, Be diligent, Timothy, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And how we need that so much today, that people would rightly divide the word of God. 
He says in verse 16, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And then he names two men, Harmenius and Philetus. He says, these men and this message that they are taking out, it's spreading like cancer. You see, false teaching is likened to that. It's likened to gangrene. And it, it will kill. And it does. And we have a responsibility to hold true. He tells Timothy that there are some who have strayed concerning the truth. They're saying that the resurrection has already passed. And, and by that bad teaching, that false teaching, they have overthrown the faith of some. I'd hate to be in their shoes. God help me that I will always be faithful to teaching the Word of God. But then he says, after all of that, in verse 19, he says, nevertheless. He says, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. That's one of the inscriptions on that seal. And then the other inscription reads, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows those who are His. This solid foundation laid by God, which is Christ Himself, upon which we as Christians are built upon Christ, His message upon Him, this promise of security that the Lord knows those who are His, that should give us great security as believers. But it should also, as He brings us balance, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That is characteristic of a true believer. A true child of God should have that desire to depart from iniquity. That brings us to our text this morning. In, cha uh, in chapter 2, verse 20 to 26. I titled this morning's message, Vessels Fit for the Master's Use. And I, I think it's always important for us to keep context. Remember that as we've been reading through, and it's why I kind of gave you some highlights, this is a continuation, we might say, of thought that the Apostle Paul is giving for the rest of this chapter. Vessels that are fit for the Master's use. Now, as I was looking and thinking about and looking at some different pictures of vessels, you know, uh, Old Testament vessels, clay pots, different kinds of vessels that were used in the temple. I started thinking of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. And each one of you that are here this morning, you are a vessel. And we're going to see these different types of vessels that are within the church. Look at your Bibles at verse 20. He says, But in a great house, Paul says, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. He says in verse 21, Therefore, because of what I just said, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. I, I hope that's where we all want to be that we're all one of these vessels, but that we would want to be sanctified and useful and prepared for every good work. He goes on to tell Timothy, he says, Timothy in verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, able to teach, patient. 
in humility correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. The Lord's church, the Lord's people are described in verse 20. But in a great house, or in a large house, we might say, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. This great house, this large house that Paul is speaking of here, is speaking of the church. It's the house of God. But it's not the building that's surrounding us here this morning. It's you and I. It's the believers that are in the church. It's the visible church, the people within the building. That's the church that God sees. He sees hearts. He doesn't see buildings and all the the structures, though He knows they're there. What He's concerned with is the people within the building. The Greek word for house here in this present context is, is, is Paul is using it like a figure of speech. It's a word picture. It's a metaphor, we might call it, by which Paul is wanting to describe the body of Christ. And he, and he uses these, this word vessel. Different kinds of vessels that are used. Vessels within your home. Think of all the various kinds of pots and containers and instruments that you use within your home. Think of what God uses here within the body of Christ. The church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. Uh, we, uh, he says, you are God's field. Put your head around that. You're, you're a fellow worker of God. You're God's field. And he says, and you are God's building. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Isn't that an incredible thought? That the Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells in each side of every true believer. When you became born again, His Holy Spirit came and made residence within your body and you became the temple of the living God. That's incredible. We just, we're walking temples. We're walking churches. We, we got God's Spirit living inside of us. Remember back in the first letter in chapter 3, verse 15, I shared it a number of times. It was the key verse, I believe, to the first letter. Paul said to Timothy, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. How important is the church? It's important to God. You're important to God. The instruments, the vessels within it are important to God. God uses you. You're the field. You're the church that God wants to use. Don't ask me why. I mean, look at ourselves. Look at our shortcomings. Don't ask me why. But the Creator of the heavens and the earth says, I want to use you. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be glorified in you. I'm going to take these earthen vessels, these weak vessels, some of us with cracks in us, and you know we're, we're, we're a little bit broken up, and I'm going to use you to my glory. That's incredible. That's gracious. That's merciful. Paul already gave some warnings to Timothy 
In verse 15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, Timothy. Be diligent about it. Make every effort, Timothy, to be approved of God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. These are warnings to Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, pass that on to the other leaders. They need to know it also. Verse 16, important, I'm reading it again. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. You see, these kinds of profane and idle babblings, it's really teaching that's irreverent. It's evil teaching. It's useless teaching. And there's a lot of that that goes on. And you know what happens? Those that are in those churches, those that are under those types of teachers, those that hear those things, they become the byproduct of that. And it actually leads to more ungodliness. You see, we're already ungodly people by our very nature. How about leading to more ungodliness through corrupt teaching and wrong things that are being... You see, the Word of God has a purifying effect. When you teach the Word, it's doing something in us. It's changing us. And that's what it's intended to do. Verse 17, he he warns that their message will spread like gangrene. We need to be careful. What we hear, what we take in, who we listen to, who we read, to make sure that it's biblical, to make sure it's accurate. We need to be good Bereans. I'm thankful that verse 19 says, the Lord knows those who are His. It's never a question mark. God looks out amongst this church here and says, I know you're my child. You ever felt like maybe I'm not a child? You ever questioned, got a little bit nervous about You know, I haven't really been doing so well lately. The Lord knows who are His. He knows your heart. He sees you and knows you. Some people believe that Paul is speaking of, he's using this gold and silver and this wood and this clay as a way of contrasting between true believers and false followers of Christ. Gold and silver, and then stone and wood. And some people believe that it's just, they're all believers. I think that on Judgment Day, God is going to sort all of this out. You see, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all stand on that day, but there will be some that'll stand on that day and they're going to profess that they know God, but their works were never a testimony that they really did. Titus 1.15 or 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. That should be an eye-opener to those that, quote, call themselves Christians. Big percentage of people in America call themselves Christians. Did you know that? You know, we're just a Christian nation. And by that sheer fact, I'm a Christian. Or because you live in the South. We're all Christians, aren't we? No, we're not. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, and it doesn't say some, it says many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says, I never knew you. I didn't once know you and I don't know you anymore. I never knew you. 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he says, examine yourselves as to whether you are of the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? You see, it's okay to examine. We want to make sure that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But there are others that believe that Paul is describing two types of Christians in this verse. The gold and the silver referring to the faithful and the useful who serve in the church. And then there's the wood and the clay being true believers, but who fail to honor their Lord. They're failing in their service to God. Philip's translation puts it this way. In any big household, there are naturally not only gold and silver vessels, but wooden and earthenware ones as well. Some are used for the highest purposes and some for the lowest. Some also have interpreted this verse 20 to mean some of less honor. Remember that all the vessels that are in a house, they're there for some purpose. Whether they are, you know, a wooden bowl and a little plastic thing, or you got some fancy gold or silver chalice within the house. They all have a purpose and they all typically get used. I was thinking about things in our own home, and the first thing that came to my mind is a, a set of yellow Tupperware measuring cups that Kathy had and has had for 40 plus years. Those measuring cups are yellow. These little Tupperware, they've got, they're chewed up, some of them, because they've made it into the garbage disposal and then you pull them out and keep them and, you know, the measuring amounts are kind of wore off. And I, I can remember saying to Kathy on a number of occasions through the years, hey, let's get some new ones. Let's get some new measuring. Throw those things away. Get rid of those things. And she wants to hang on to them. I've bought new ones. And she still uses those little yellow Tupperware. Now, for me, in my mind, I say throw them in the rubbish. Get rid of them. Well, get new ones. They're not that much. But I believe that God, when it comes to His people, when it comes to the vessels that He is wanting to work in and through, that God doesn't want to throw His vessels away either. He wants to make these vessels that are of dishonor, He wants to make them vessels of honor. That's what God wants to do. I read a story about a man who used to visit a tiny general store in the country. The proprietor has a clerk named Jake who seemed to be the laziest man in the world. One day, the man noticed that Jake was gone. He asked the proprietor, where's Jake? Oh, he retired, was the answer. Retired? then what are you going to do to fill the vacancy? And the owner replied, Jake didn't leave no vacancy. Lazy Jake left no vacancy. And that leads to ask the question, if you were to leave the church, if you were to walk away from the church, Would there be a vacancy if you left? Would the church miss you and your giftings? Would be, or would, you know, what would they miss? 
You see, we're all called, we're all vessels within the church, within the body of Christ. God has a purpose. Remember, He already instructed Timothy not to neglect, neglect the giftings that were in him through the laying on of hands. Timothy, don't give up on the gifts that have been put in you. We also can read in 1 Corinthians 3 that we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are His building. And then he goes on to say, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on his foundation with gold, with silver, with precious stones, with wood, hay, or straw, do you see how they kind of diminish as they, they go in value? Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. You see, we're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the great white throne judgment, but we're going to stand in the Greek word is the word bima. We'll stand before God and all of our works, everything that we've done for the Lord in the course of our whole Christian walk is going to hit the fire, so to speak. It's what's going to stand the test of that fire, the purification of that fire that is going to be rewarded, that God is going to reward you for. But everything else through a bad motive, through whatever that God searches and sees, those things are going to be burned up. There's going to be a loss of reward. And he goes on to say, if anyone's works which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. You see, there will be Christians, I believe, that are going to be in heaven, that are going to make it to heaven, because Jesus Christ is faithful to save them and to complete that. But when it comes to works and when it comes to rewards, when it comes to them being a vessel within the body of Christ that is being used, there's going to be many that are going to have very little reward except maybe just the reward, hey, I made it to heaven. He says, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. And he says, which temple are you? The other problem that I have with saying that the gold and the silver are believers and the stone and the clay are unbelievers is because of what Paul writes in verse 21. Look at your Bibles. He starts out with the word therefore, or the word but, or now. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that's important, and underline those two words, cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It almost sounds like there's hope for the wood and the clay. That they themselves could cleanse themselves. That they could be sanctified afresh. That they could be useful for the Master. Paul uses the word therefore because he's connecting verse 20 to 21. Therefore. So, based on the interpretation that, and there are people that differ on this, by the way, that's why I'm bringing it up to you. But based on the interpretation that these vessels are believers, all of them, I would say then that Paul is speaking 
of the believers who are vessels of wood and clay and vessels of dishonor, Paul is saying that if they were to cleanse themselves from the things that would defile them, the things that would dishonor the Lord, and that they would become vessels of honor, sanctified, useful, that God could use. It could also be a statement against those teachers like Hermenius that we read about and Philetus who were teaching false doctrine and spreading like cancer. Some have said, I don't think they're believers. Some say they are believers, but they got off track. If a teacher is teaching God's word and he teaches something in error, God can be very gracious towards that. If you are deliberately going out preaching and teaching things that are to the detriment of people, you will stand accountable. And even for those things that that you didn't think you were teaching wrong. Gold and silver and vessels of honor. That's where we want to be as Christians. That's the place we want to to shine like for the Lord. That's how we want to be as believers, to be used in that way. So what what kind of a person does God use in the house of God? Well, the first thing that I see is that He uses people that are a cleansed people. People that are a holy people. People that are seeking to be holy in their conduct, in their life. You see, you were cleansed the day you gave your life to Christ. He took all of your sin away. He completely wiped your slate clean. He forgave you of all of your sin. He did that. But you also need to keep yourself cleansed, don't you? So do I, by the way. You need to keep yourself cleansed by coming to God, and I believe daily. You come with your sin. You come with your faults. You come with your compromises. You come with your trespasses. You know, the deliberates where you just cross the line. And you do that inventory on a daily basis. And you come before the Lord and you say, God, I need a cleansing. That requires something on our part. God did all of His part the day you gave your life to Him. He forgave all of your past, present, and even future sins. His blood continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But we need to admit. We need to come in repentance. We need to lay our hearts out before the Lord and keep these vessels in a place of purity. You see, the true believer... Somebody who really knows Christ is one that takes the responsibility upon himself or herself. They they do that to keep themselves in this relationship like this to keep it good. If you could say to yourself, you know, I, I haven't really gone before the Lord with anything in my life in months. You know, I mean, I'm just banking on the fact that he's forgiven. You know, God does forgive past, present, and future sin. But do you think that sin, unconfessed sin, that it doesn't hamper what God wants to do in you as a vessel in the body of Christ? It does. It hampers even our prayer life. 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess, you could also use the word admit. If you admit your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to continue to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In 2 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all unfilthiness, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Psalm 119 verse 9 How can a young man cleanse his way? And then he gives four things. He says, number one, by taking heed to your word, God. That's the first way. Number two, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Number three, oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And then number four, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a man cleanse his ways? Do those things. You know, God requires something of us to keep these vessels in a place where we're usable, where God can use us. The New Living Translation for verse 21 reads this way, If you keep yourselves pure, you will be a utensil God can use for His purpose. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the Master to use you for every good work. The Phillips translation reads this way, If a man keeps himself clean from the contaminations of evil, he will be a vessel used for honorable purposes, clean and serviceable for the use of the Master of the household all ready, in fact, for any good purpose, excuse me. The word cleanse or cleanses himself is a word that actually means this, to clean out thoroughly. That's what the word cleanses mean, that we would cleanse ourselves, to completely purge and rid ourselves of something unclean you know it's not just a a dusting off I dusted the shelves but it's a purging it's saying God see if there be any wicked way in me and God brings those things to our heart and then we're quick to say God help me to get things right strengthen me give me victory over it Lord help me And when we come before God like that, repent of hearts, confessing hearts, you know what? God has His way. God does His work. And then you look at your life and go, man, my life's changing. I'm becoming more like Christ. Look what He's doing. Paul says that the vessels of gold and silver are vessels that are sanctified. This is the gold and the silver. They're sanctified. They're set apart. They're consecrated for the use of God. Gold and silver. They're dedicated to the service of God. They're loyal to God. You know, like the the priest who would take those vessels and he would use them within the temple service there. They would need to clean them, sanctified. They they needed to be washed, sanctified, and then set apart to be used in the Lord's house. It's like us coming together here. Are Are we coming in ready to go? Ready to serve the Lord from a pure heart? Are we going through that in our own hearts and minds before the Lord? And not just here in the building, but seven days a week. The day you gave your life to Christ, He sanctified you. Did you know that? He took you like this gold chalice, sanctified, cleansed, and He just set you apart for His use. In time... That gold chalice could start getting a little bit dirty, a little bit dinged up, 
Maybe that gold chalice <laughs> ends up looking more like a clay pot or cracked. You know, we find ourselves at times going backwards instead of going forward. You know what that's called? Backsliding? Backsliding, by definition, this is the one I like anyway, is a gradual abandonment from the faith. It's not a, you get up one day, I'm going to backslide today. Usually you get away from the fundamentals of what you should be doing. And then all of a sudden you find yourself not where you used to be. That's backsliding. He says also that he is useful for the master. To be useful means easy to make use of that it pertains to being helpful or beneficial or very profitable to the things of God. That's the way we should want to be. You know, that word useful, it, it could be contrasted with the word useless. Would, it, would anyone really notice if you weren't here? You know, that's how we should look. What is God doing in me as a Christian? How am I furthering the gospel? How am I involved with my brothers and sisters in Christ? How's God just, what's he doing in me? I want to be an instrument, a vessel that God could work through. He also says, for the master. He is our ruler. He is our master. He's the master of the household of this house. And we're just, if he's the master, then who are we? We're the subjects, we're the slaves, if you want to say, to our master. And then he says, and, and they'll be prepared for every good work. And that word actually prepared is a Greek word for fitness. Prepared for every good work. Fitness means to make ready. It's, it speaks of a purpose, a use, an activity that I'm prepared as a Christian for whatever God brings my way. Why? Because I'm good in heart. I, between me and the Lord, I'm keeping this vessel usable. And when God brings opportunity before me, I'm quick to want to jump at it. I want to be used of the Lord. I want, to be, I want my life to be powerful in what He does. That gold and that silver vessel within the body of Christ. Useful for the Master prepared for every good work. In Galatians 6.9, we read, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, Christians, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith especially for one another. Holding each other up. Praying for one another. Lord, how can I be involved in my brothers' and sisters' lives? That's what we're called to do as a church. If, in fact, we're vessels of gold and silver. Look at verse 22. Paul goes on exhorting Timothy now on how to prepare for every good work. And he uses two important words. Look at your Bible. Verse 22 says, flee. The other word that he uses there is the word pursue. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The first thing that Paul says is that we're, if we want to be these vessels of gold and silver, then we need to flee from youthful lust. 
and say, well, I'm not a youth. <laughs> I'm not even young anymore. It's not just speaking of just youth. The word flee here means to move quickly from one point to another to avoid a presumed danger or difficulty. We should be, as Christians, if we could say this, we should be continually fleeing. Why? There's a bunch of stuff out there, isn't there? Things that'll get our eyes off of the Lord, get us into the flesh, get us doing, you know what I mean? We need to continuously, and that's really the wording here in, in the Greek means a continuous action. Continually fleeing youthful lust. The picture that came to my mind that is a, a common picture of someone fleeing is Joseph. Out of Genesis 39, when he fled from Potiphar's wife, her sexual advances, he fled from the situation. Fleeing youthful lust is not like Samson, who said to his father in Judges 14, get her for me, for she looks good to me. That's not fleeing. That's not, that's not what we should do when we see danger coming. Let this picture, or let both of these pictures, be a picture for us of what it means to flee, to get out of the situation, to get your eyes back on course, to get your heart right. There's a lot here. We're not just talking about a youth and the sexual temptations of youth. It's speaking a lot more, a lot more than that. It's speaking about sinful desires in general, evil desires. 1 John 2.16 tells us, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You could take all three of those things and you could say every sin we ever fall to comes from one of those things. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. If you want to ask yourself, where'd that one come from? Where'd that sin get in? You know, how'd I get tripped up on that one? Oh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Uh, you can trace it to all three of them or to one. Simply put, Paul says, flee sin, but pursue righteousness. And then he tells us the things that we should pursue. Look what he says. Pursue righteousness means to live uprightly as a Christian. To pursue means that we should make it a habit of pursuing things that are right. Things that are just. Things that are pure. Things that are holy. Things that are upright. Things that are in accordance with God's standard. Things that conform to His Word. Things that are in keeping with God's character. Those are the things that we should pursue in righteousness. We're also called to pursue faith. And the faith word that he's speaking of here, I believe, could be translated, pursue faithfulness. That's a big one, isn't it? Faithfulness. To be faithful to pursue it. It's actually getting hard to find. These days, Christians, vessels that are faithful. We're also to pursue love. This is that word agape. It's that unconditional, sacrificial love. If you want to be a vessel of gold and silver, then we need to pursue righteousness. We need to pursue faith. We need to pursue love. And that love starts this way between you and God and then it'll come out at this level between you and other people. We need to pursue after it. We're also called to pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
The word peace is from a verb that, that means to bind or to join together what is broken and divided. Do you see how important that is in the church? Do you see how important that is for the body of Christ to function with its vessels in there as gold and silver? But then you also have the, the wood and the clay. And you got people within the mix, and you got some people that are, you know, they're just giving into the flesh. They're getting into little, you know, all these little things that go on and getting into little d- debates and little tiffs and little things that go on. And we're to be the ones, at least the gold and silver vessels, ones that are pursuing peace. That means in, in every situation within the church. Jesus Himself said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. To be a peacemaker. To seek that out. To not let all these things creep in that could divide. Look what He says in verse 23. He says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. He goes right from that. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate what strife none of us like it but sometimes we find ourselves getting into it anyway they generate strife we need to avoid to avoid means to refuse to refuse means i've made it up in my mind i'm not going to go there i'm not going to let it get in the middle of us foolish and ignorant disputes If we could just take all of those things out of the church, wow, (laughs) what would we have? We'd have a body of Christ that's shining so bright to this world. I've witnessed people in the church that have, and it appears that they have no concern whether they're causing disputes or strife within the body of Christ. And the only thing that I can say with that of myself or anyone else is that pride is at the root of it. You know, we don't want to be wrong, right, wrong. You know, the whole dispute goes on. You know, we're not willing to give. You know, you've you've done this, you've said that, you've acted like, you know. We're not willing to give in. You know, as Christians, as we've already read in this chapter, it seems like a a thing between, you know, peace and then we're called to fight like a soldier. (laughs) You know, fighting like a soldier and then we're to be peacemakers. You see, as Christians, we fight for the things that are worthy of fighting for. That's truth. The things that we stand upon. We have that spiritual weaponry that's been given to us to to engage that kind of a fight. It's a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness. But we're also called to be peacemakers. And not fighting for those things that don't matter, that are going to cause division. And by the way, Everything that I'm saying about this, it works really good in the home. It works between husband and wife. It works at work. It works in the church. It works just in general to be a peacemaker. Not to be one that is out generating strife. Here's a hard-hitting verse. At least it is for me. Proverbs 6.16. You know where I'm going with this one? Proverbs 6.16. These six things God hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. Listen to the seven. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. That's in the list of the seven things God says I hate. 
That's, I guess we'll call them the biggies. Don't do that. What kind of people is God using in His house? I think it's those that are fleeing sin. Those that are pursuing righteousness. Those that are avoiding foolish and ignorant disputes. And then he closes in verse 24 to 26, at least in this chapter, and it says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to, gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There's a lot that can be said here of the teacher. There's a lot that can be said of the, the man that's behind the pulpit. That he should be of that character. But we never say that that's just for the man behind the pulpit. We say it's for every believer. The servant of the Lord. And I think we all fall under that. God uses clean vessels and vessels that are continually being cleansed. Don't just bank on the, you know, hey, except the Lord. The Lord took all my sins away, you know, 25 years ago. I've never really gone before the Lord with any of my sins since then. You know, He took care of it all then. He did. And He will. And He does. But we're called to be upright before the Lord. God uses a people that are clean. He uses a people that are continually pursuing righteousness. He uses a person who is pursuing faith. He uses the person who is pursuing love, the person who is pursuing peace, the person who avoids foolish and ignorant disputes, the person who sees themselves as a bondservant of God, the person who does not quarrel but is gentle to all. That's the kind of vessel that God can work through in the church. And you know what? When it's like that, powerful. Powerful church, powerful people, vessels. God's doing it all. It's not me. God's doing it all. These are the vessels of gold and silver. And maybe, you know, maybe if you're here this morning, maybe you're feeling like you're, you're wood or clay. The only one that can reveal that to you is the Holy Spirit. I don't sit out, by the way, I don't sit up here and I'm standing up here, but I don't stand up here or see you at church and try to determine if you're gold, silver, wood, or clay. That's not my job. I don't, I don't do that. So don't get worried that I'm, or nor should all of you. Oh, I think you're wood. You're clay. You know, that gets into a, you know, we're not doing that. God is the one that's the revealer of the heart. But when our heart needs to be made right, when we need to get things right, and we're open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then let God have His way. If you're here this morning and you, and you in your own heart, feel like you might be a, a vessel of, Wood or clay? Well, what I just read and what I believe he's telling us here is that we could be made still a vessel of gold and silver. And so let's have the worship team come up. If you want to set your heart right before the Lord, just do it right where you're at. Don't need to come forward. Don't need to stand up here, but... What I would strongly suggest that you do is that you go before the Lord and say, God, would you search my heart? I want to be a vessel that you can use. I want to just be 
right in your hands where you can use me and start a fresh work in my heart. Start something fresh in me today. And if you do that, be ready because God's gonna, gonna use you in even greater words. You're gonna be prepared for the master to use. And you know what? What I see in scripture, anybody that's willing like that, he's gonna use you up. Don't be afraid of it. You'll be blessed. God will bless you for it.